Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hello, everyone. It's Scott Nelson, and welcome to another edition of MedSider, the place where I interview uh, med tech and medical device thought leaders and stakeholders uh, in an effort to uh, to learn more about the business, about their careers, about their experiences, um, so everyone uh, everyone can can benefit. So on uh, on today's program, uh, we've got Kevin Beaton. He's the general manager and vice president of New Cryovascular, uh, a subsidiary of Gemini Interventional Technologies. Prior to his role at uh, at New Cryo and Gemini, uh, Kevin has had sales and marketing leadership positions for uh, companies like Spectronetics, Boston Scientific, and Pfizer. Uh, Kevin received his MBA in finance from Central Michigan University and a BS in chemical engineering from Michigan State. He's a Michigan guy. Uh, so without further ado, welcome to the program, Kevin. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Uh, well, cool. Let's start, let's start with, uh, with what you're doing at, at New Cryo, because uh, it's certainly an, uh, an, interesting, an interesting story. Uh, and congrats, by the way, on your, on your recent uh, five, 510K clearance. I, I want to discuss that more because it seems like you guys did an incredible job uh, with that, um, you know, turning, turning around that clearance in, in, in short fashion. So we, I definitely want to, want to spend time on that, but, uh, you know, like I, like I just said, the, 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 the cryo catheter, uh, device that, uh, uh, that you're commercializing ha- has really a, a kind of a story history, uh, with the likes of, uh, of Dr. Uh, James Joy, uh, the start, the initial startup under, under cryovascular systems, you know, and then, and then the history with Boston scientific, et cetera. So, um, maybe, maybe just, uh, if, if you can provide a, a high level overview uh, of the history and then we'll maybe dig into, into the details uh, along the way. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I do think it's a great story and I think it's a pretty unique opportunity because of the history of cryoplasty in the previous proven customer base that, that we've had. Um, but back in the day, Boston Scientific, as you, as I believe you know, um, acquired the polar calf line from cryovascular system, which was a startup, um, formed and uh, created by Dr. Joy. During that time period, um, at its heyday, there was over $40 million in revenue, over 350 accounts, and most likely 900 to you know over 1,000 physicians that had been trained on the product. But as the medical device industry changes, in 2012, Boston Scientific basically went through a reorg, and it was their decision, I believe, at the time, to eliminate some products that they perceived to be costly to make um, that weren't in their main geographic area and also had a small revenue stream compared to the larger coronary and CRM product lines that they offered. So at that time, they decided to stop manufacturing, but they allowed their inventory they had on hand to be, continue to be sold, although it was de-emphasized from their sales force perspective. So at that point in 2014, um, Polycast still had about five, $5.3 million in revenue and over 100 accounts using it. But the sales were dwindling as the inventory dwindled. Um, Dr. Joy and a few of the early investors in cryoplasty decided to create a company called Gemini New Cryo um, to buy back the rights from Boston Scientific with the intent to do some engineering modifications um, and bring it back to market. And, And that's where we are in present day. In the meantime, as you're aware and as you mentioned, uh, that we did have an exclusive distribution deal last year with, with Vasher Solutions. Um, uh, that was terminated 12-31 of uh, 2015, and that's where we are today with the direct sales force model for Gemini New Cryo. 
Got it. Uh, yeah, certainly an interesting story. And, and uh, um, I mean, just, just to, to, to kind of further, further elaborate a little bit, uh, I, I want to set the stage, I guess, for, for those, for those that are listening, uh, this was a, a really successful product. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, that the, the device reached, you know, peak sales of, of over $40 million. And then again, from my perspective, because I, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit unique. Cause I, when, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, you know, in, in the field selling peripheral vascular devices, I competed against this, uh, this, this particular pro- product. In fact, one of my, one of my good buddies was a, was a rep for, for Boston Scientific uh, at, at the time. And it was a really successful device and then almost kind of disappeared, so to speak, so to speak. There wasn't a, a major recall, at least to my knowledge, there wasn't a major recall. Uh, there wasn't really any, any, any data that, that came out that suggested it didn't work. It just sort of, like I said, kind of, kind of disappeared. And so, um, you know, to, to your point, is that what's your take on 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 the reason for for Boston Scientific sort of de-emphasizing it? Because you wonder how oftentimes this really happens with with large strategics like like Boston Scientific or, or a Medtronic or a Stryker. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I and you know obviously I'm not going to speak on behalf of Boston Scientific, but I think back in the 2012 timeframe when these decisions were being made, you know, it was the guidance acquisition with Boston, and there was a lot of change taking place in the industry. And so I believe uh, they just made a decision that it was a smaller product line within a peripheral space, and they decided to divest and stop manufacturing this product. But there was no recall. Um, in fact, in 2011 at TCT, there was very positive data to support cryoplasty. And then it was published in 2012. It was called the Cobra Study. And it talked about it was a randomized perspective multi-center study comparing cryoplasty versus PTA in the post-dilation of nitinol stents in the diabetic patient population. So it's very, very positive data um, that a lot of physicians aren't familiar with, and a lot of physicians, as you mentioned, were also disappointed that the product went away. And so when we started reviving cryoplasty last year, physicians were, were surprised, excited, but also very happy that they'd have the opportunity to put polar cath or cryoplasty back in their treatment algorithm for peripheral vascular disease. Yeah, very cool. Uh, very interesting. And yeah. I, I, when I was, you know, during my time at, uh, at uh, Covidian uh, and, and Medtronic, um, there was a, 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 a sort of a, a similar situation with, with, uh, with one of our uh, thrombectomy devices where it was almost, uh, it, was, it was too expensive to, to, to it was, well, it was relatively expensive to manufacture and sales were, um, were you know were relatively low in compa- comparison to other product franchises, and so the decision was made to almost almost stop, not discontinue it per se, but really stop selling it. And uh, I know the reaction amongst physicians wasn't uh, wasn't very uh, they weren't very enthused about that decision. So I think uh, you just wonder how often this really takes place, uh, you know, with, with other companies. But certainly a great opportunity for for what you guys are doing with uh, with New Cryo. Well, I, I agree 100%. I think that was a, a great example. And I think what it comes down to is larger companies have such a, a breadth of product line or a large sales bag that sometimes the smaller products or the smaller rev- generating revenue-generating products are, are dismissed or often, you know, you know, said they're not, uh, they can be discontinued. And I believe that's what happened with cryoplasty. But for our company, which is, you know, Gemini New Cryo, it's a great opportunity because we've, you know, in a relatively short period of time, re-engineered the product twice from an inflation perspective, and we've eliminated a ton of costs. And I think we have a very efficient operation now just by, by really diving into with a with a serious engineering team and making some changes that have lowered the cost. Yeah. 
it's it's amazing how how much can can get done when you when you've put together a you know a solid team and that's willing to to move fast and, and iterate fast. It's it's pretty cool. I want to talk to you more about that uh, here in a second. So, um, to, to kind of to finish up on this story, you mentioned that um, I think maybe was it back in two thousand fourteen, uh, Doctor Joy. Uh, had interest in, or at that point, he he sort of re reacquired the the IP or the assets from Boston Scientific. Is there is there um do you know the rationale there? Was it was it was that based on on the fact that he sort of he was involved initially with this with this product with with cryovascular, uh, or or what was the is there a story there that uh, that would be uh, of yeah. interest to, to learn about? I, I think the story is uh, he was a founder of of cryoplasty back in 1999. I believe it was initially uh, incorporated. But he's always believed in the technology has, as well as a lot of physicians. And so when the opportunity to buy back the assets um, came, to, came to him, he absolutely jumped on it. And the team that we have today are individuals from cryoplasty originally and from Boston Scientific. So the team that was formed were people that had experience with, with cryoplasty. Hmm. And they, as Dr. Joy, were excited to work on it, make engineering changes, and bring it back to market because... I believe it is a proven technology um, with demonstrated historical sales as well as data. And now with the Cobra data in 2012, it's a great opportunity to launch the product with relatively new data. And there's not a lot of randomized perspective clinical studies out there in the peripheral space like the Cobra study. So it was an opportunity to buy back the assets, re-engineer it, um, make it more cost-effective in the market so we can compete head-to-head with, with other technologies as well as having a nice data set uh, to go along with it. So I think what he realized, and I think we all appreciate now, it, it was a great situation um, to buy it, a distressed technology, if you will, because it was off the market, and bring it back to market. Got it. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, when, when you put all those pieces together, it really does, it really does make for a, not only an interesting opportunity, but it seems like a really, a really good one uh, on a lot of different fronts. So uh, I want to I wanna get into... Um, you know, how you guys were able to move so fast from an R&D perspective. But, but just lastly, I know you worked on a um, – uh, you, you had a distribution agreement in place with Vascular Solutions, and, and, uh, and now you're going direct. But I don't want to necessarily ask you too much about why that was discontinued with, with Vascular Solutions. I, I really want to get to, um, you know, the, the decision to go – direct versus a distributor and what we can learn from that because you know there's probably pros and cons with, with you know with with both with both uh avenues and so um maybe take us through you know the, the rationale to go direct versus you know continuing in sort of a distribution uh fashion yeah absolutely well first of all Vash Solutions is a great company with a proven track record of success i mean they have an uh, impressive product portfolio and a specific sales model that's worked very well for them However, it was a mutual decision for us to part ways, um, and, but it was a decision that New Cryo is very excited about right now because it gives us the opportunity to go direct and be in complete control of, of our future from a sales perspective and from an engineering perspective and all of the above as it's associated with polycast and cryoplasty. So the decision to go to direct, it, it's basically hinges once again upon the history because there are so many accounts out there, um, and over three, as I mentioned, over 350, and it's got a proven mechanism of action that's differentiated. We believe that going direct will allow us to engage the physicians and kind of reconnect them. So it's a different sales model where we're not trying to sell people on the data or sell people on the device. What we're really trying to do is re-engage them, let them know the Cobra study's out there, let them know that we're back, 
and let them know that we have they have an opportunity to add cryoplasty back to the treatment algorithm. And because we're such a small company, I mean, at, at this time we have five employees, um, we're adding, and I am hiring at this time, but we're super efficient and we're super lean. And one of the things we emphasize is our cost control and our cost structure. But by being so lean and efficient, you know, we can capitalize on uh, with a direct sales force in a market that's that's ready and has been waiting for cryoplastic to come back. Got it. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And and when you to to hear you explain it, um, it, it helps a lot as well because it, it would be a, maybe an entirely different story if you had to go if you had to approach this more from a market development standpoint where you had to really um, educate physicians not only on the product but also maybe on the uh, you know um, on the on the disease state or maybe even um, on the, the patient pathway, where in this in this scenario, it's you know the the device is proven. A lot of physicians are are fond of it, or were fond of it when it was on the market. So it makes for a it allows for uh, you know a lot of efficiency from a, a sales perspective or a commercialization perspective. So that's that's cool. Um, exactly. Very good. So so on that on that same topic of of um, of, of being lean and being able to to iterate quickly uh, uh, at at a lower cost. Um, you let's see here the R and D work. I think you you mentioned that that Dr. Joy uh, acquired the assets from Boston Scientific in maybe the the 2013 or 2014. I think is is when when he did that. But yet you just got a you know your your 510k clearance at the end of 2015, right? Uh, yes, we actually got the the 20 uh, 510k clearance in 2015. End of 2015. I mean, so that that's that's super fast to be able to make the the R and D changes. And then also get regulatory clearance in maybe a year or, or a little, uh, you know, over that. I mean, it's it's unheard of, at, you know, in, in, within large companies for sure. So, um, right. are, are there some some key takeaways that we can learn from from how you approach that and how you were able to uh, to move so quickly? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things, and I, I think it's a real testament to the engineering team and the team that was put together because the the rights were acquired in I believe August of 2014. And in a relatively short period of time, we had to find a facility, set up a clean room, set up a manufacturing line that we received back from Boston Scientific, and start production because New Cryovascular went to market with the distribution model in early 2015. So all that had been completed. And in that period of time, the engineering team actually already did um, an uh, engineering modification of the inflation unit by removing the external battery and putting the, the battery internally. So that was one one iteration they already completed. But the 510K submission only took 40 days for approval. Um, so I think the real testament to that is being a lean team, you know, we can get together, the engineering team could do their work, they could bring it to us, we could analyze it, give them feedback, Dr. Joy could provide his, uh, his input from the customer, and then we could go back and do it again. So it was total team effort of, Engineering, modification, adapting, voice of the customer, going back to the drawing board, and bringing it all together. So it's it, not a lot of bureaucracy, and total yeah. team play um, allowed us to really do something, you know, relatively quickly in today's world. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's a, it's, it's really amazing when you, when you think about, you know, those two feats, the, the engineering changes um, as well as the, uh, as well as the the regulatory submission, and on that note regarding the regulatory submission taking only forty days, does that speak to how how it was initially submitted or the relationship with you know with with an FDA a particular you know FDA reviewer? Um, do you have any details there? 
Uh, what I think it was is, is basically came down to, you know, the history of pyroplasty once again and the modifications we made. They were modifications to the inflation unit that allowed it to be more effective, more cost-effective, and they were important changes to us, but where the FDA would allow, you know, analyze it, took a look at, take a look at it, and said, yes, it's something we can do. They asked a few questions, and we responded relatively quickly. So the turnaround time from their response to ours um, was all something we could do really fast because of the team we had set up. And then um, we did have, you know, assistants writing it so that uh, it was written in the best manner. But overall, how we're set up with what we do inside, we try to be very efficient in all our activities. Got it. And I, I've got a, uh, a friend that's, um, that's a regulatory consultant, and, uh, and, and she sort of always scoffs at this notion that uh, – uh, you know, that, that, that the, the blame is, is is cast often on the FDA on the FDA and, and maybe maybe that's you know right in, in some scenarios um, but uh, but she has mentioned several times to me that uh, you know a good if the submission is tight and, and well done um, that will save a ton of back and forth you know from the on the device company side to the you know uh, you know on, on, from, from both sides the device company side as well as the the uh, the, reg, the FDA side so um, very, I mean, very cool to see to kind of see how you guys did that, uh, and and to to show that it it, it can be done. It, you know, uh, the, reg, the regulatory approvals can be can happen can happen fast if if done well. So, congratulations again on that. And uh, uh, before we kind of transition to your your career experiences, um, uh, Kevin, let let's just lastly talk about you know the changes that you've made to to uh, to the uh, the polar cath device um, and why a physician that's interested that or that that used it maybe you know back in. 2007 or 2008, why uh, why they'd be, maybe be interested in, uh, in in using it now with the uh, with the engineering changes that you've made? Uh, definitely, I appreciate you asking that question. I, I think the basis for for cryoplasty is its its mechanism of action in you know apoptosis or the biological effect that it provides. There's not another balloon in the peripheral space that treats with the negative 10 degrees Celsius cooling impact of apoptosis that the cryo balloon or polar cap does. So I think that's critical in, in the baseline for why the physicians are excited that it's back and why we're excited to bring it back to market. But with today's, you know, talk about the, the economy and the importance of price in today's market, um, the next generation unit that we just got 510K approval on, it's a non-sterile reusable device of up to 100 inflations. So prior to that, um, every time an inflation unit was used, it was per case. It was sterile, and it had to be discarded after that case. So there was a cost associated with that for us, the manufacturer, as well as for the, for the hospital, the physician. And so by bringing out this next-generation unit, it significantly lowers the cost per procedure for polar cat. So now we can go talk to physicians, hospitals, office-based labs, office administrators, and sit down, and we have an economic story that will compete in today's market along with the proven data, the COBRA study, you know, the customer base, everything that allowed us to, with the notion to bring it back to market. So it was, awesome. it was absolutely yeah. critical for us to get the 510K approval to compete in today's market. Got so that that's interesting. So so the balloon itself is obviously disposable, but the inflation device that allows you to infuse the, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, that the science of, of yep. cryoplasty, but the, the inflation device that you infuse the, um, uh, the, the formula, I guess, for lack of a better description, uh, that is that itself is reusable now. Yeah, absolutely. So prior okay. to it, um, to, to conduct a polar catheter cryoplasty procedure, 
You had to have a disposable sterile insulation device. You had to have the nitrous oxide cartridges, which are still, uh, which were sterile. And you have the polycast catheter that is sterile that actually goes inside the body to treat the lesion or the, or the stenosis. So each one of those had a cost associated with it. You add those up and you have the total cost per procedure for cryoplasty, which worked great, you know, in the mid-2000s when cost wasn't uh, as important as it is today with all the additional competition out in the market now. But with the next generation unit, you're still going to have, which, we, which we're going to bring to market here in the very near future, you're going to have a disposable catheter that is the same as before, but now you're going to have a, uh, a non-sterile nitrous oxide cartridge, which is still you know, one inflation per cartridge, but the main takeaway is the inflation device is going to be significantly less per case because it has a cost associated with it, but you amortize that over 100 cases or 100 inflations, and the cost per case is significantly lower um, than it was before, and it directly allows us to compete with other specialty balloons on the market. Um, and then you combine our cost or the similar cost or competition, but you add in the mechanism of action, how we treat, and the benefits of cryo and treating the entire clinical leg uh, along with the data. I think it makes it very compelling. Got it. Very cool. Uh, th- thanks for the explanation, and I hope hopefully that gives uh, everyone a uh, a good overview of of kind of the, the changes you made and why it makes sense in today's in today's market. Because as you mentioned, price. You talk to any 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 downstream marketer or any salesperson in the field, they'll tell you the same story. I mean, price is, is definitely an issue in today's uh, healthcare environment. Physicians have less. I, I always like to say physicians have less less arrow. They still are. Uh, decision makers when it comes to purchase, you know, purchasing devices in the hospital setting. And I, I hope you do agree with this. They just have less arrows in their quiver. You know, they're only fight for for so much uh, the, <laughs> for so many devices. And you know, when your costs are out of line, it's it's tough. It's a tough uh, tough play. But um, exactly. And we heard we heard that last year. You know, we mm-hmm. had some trial loyalists that were using trial last year, um, but they were also talking about look right now with the with the previous cost structure. It'll be hard for me to get it in right now. I definitely want to get it in the hospital and put it on the shelf so I can use it for cases. But, you know, cost will be an issue. And when I started talking about the next generation unit that we got 510K, it changed the discussion because the data, the mechanism of action, the ease of use, and the safety profile of cryoplasty, now you tie in the economic model that we have and you can have a discussion with the CFO, CEO, cath lab director, OR manager, physician, whoever it may be, and there's a compelling story that ties it all in, which should allow it to be used um, in various settings to treat the patient. Very cool. Um, I want to, after we talk a little bit more about your, your, your career leading up to this point, uh, I want to circle back around and ask you what's next for, uh, for New Cryo and, and, and Gemini. Um, but before we go to your before we go to uh, to your career, I just want to uh, mention a, a short sponsorship message. Uh, interview is sponsored by Touch Surgery. Now, in full disclosure, I'm an employee of uh, of Touch Surgery. But uh, for those interesting, for those that are interested um, or want to know a little bit more about Touch Surgery, I'd encourage you to go to our uh, go to our website, touchsurgery.com. Um, you can download our free app uh, through the App Store or the Google Play Store. And in essence, we allow. Um, we're, we're, uh, we produce uh, very interactive uh, mobile procedural simulations uh, to train reps and or physicians at scale. 
And so what I mean by that is traditional I mean, traditional uh, simulations uh, that are hardware based require someone to be in person. It's an in-person sort of event to, to use or practice on a simulator. The difference with touch surgery is that we're, we're doing that in a virtual environment because all of our simulations on our uh, a mobile device, uh, whether it's an iPad, an iPhone, or an Android-based tablet, um, anyone can practice can learn and practice procedures anytime, anywhere on their on their mobile device. And so if you're interested, go to touchsurgery.com and uh, and check us out or download the app and and play around with our platform. And if you're interested in in, uh, in talking further, uh, don't hesitate to give me a shout or shoot me an email, scott at touchsurgery.com. So um, let's now transition to your uh, your career, Kevin, um, leading up, because you joined, you joined Gemini back in early 2015, correct? Yes. And so, but your prior experiences, I kind of mentioned in the intro, were with, uh, and really, sound, it looks like, a, you know, based on the research that I did, a, a sales capacity with the likes of uh, Boston Scientific, and, and you sort of came up the ranks, I guess, in, 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 you know, from a, on the sales side with Boston Scientific and, and, and Spectronetics. Um, so, so going back to your most recent move from Spectronetics to, you know, to, to, to Gemini and, and New Cryo, uh, kind of explain, exp, explain that and... Uh, um, and, and why you made that particular uh, career transition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, Spectronetics is a great company. I really enjoyed my time there. But when the opportunity with Gemini came to my attention and I was approached with it, it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down because it was a small company, it was a startup, but it was a startup built with great people, um, people that I admire and people that I knew I really enjoyed working with. But it was also based on a, a technology that I used to sell to Austin Scientific back in 2006. And I really believe there's a market out there for it. And with the COBRA study and the changes that I knew that were forthcoming, it seemed like a great opportunity to really pursue it um, and, and take a chance at the startup with a great team. So that was why. It was, it was almost too, too good to turn down. And that's why I left Spectronetics, which is a, a great company, to go to a small one that I believe we can make great in its own right. Got it. And then, so, so I'm sure, uh, you know, most people would, would analyze that move and say, uh, really exciting opportunity, but you're taking a big risk. So how did you, how did you, uh, justify, uh, you know, taking the, you know, you know, you know, balancing the, the pros and cons of kind of, you know, making that move going from, you know, Spectronetics to, to New Cryo and Gemini? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Something my wife and I talked about, I talked with my friend and Mm -hmm. one of my mentors and, I think you analyze every opportunity, or you should analyze every opportunity, either if it's in your current company and move into a new position or whatever you may have, or an outside opportunity. So I did the analysis. I talked with, with Dr. Joy and, and the team at New Cryo and Gemini. And once again, it came down to that situation where I'm pretty passionate about what we're offering right now. Mm-hmm. Because of the proven track record of Cryo, me being able to sell it before, the next generation unit that I knew we were going to get approval on, um, you tie all those things together, and I honestly don't think there's another opportunity in the medical device space today that we have right now at New Cryo Gemini. And it, it all comes down to, once again, the proven track record, the data, the next generation unit. You tie all that together with a super small, super lean team, and we don't have to be everywhere in the market, but we just have to you know, be used and be part of the algorithm for PAD, and we will be successful. And then you tie into the future of what Gemini wants to do. And it was too good of an opportunity from a learning perspective. I've been working with really good people and like Dr. Joy, who I admire and I respect and I've worked with previously. Um, 
just had to say yes, and I'm super happy that I did. Yeah, very, very, very cool to to kind of understand how you sort of analyze that move because I think uh, I think a lot of people uh, would would relate to that, and it sounds like um, there's just a lot of pieces uh, that that you were able to sort of check the box, you know, um, in in sort of you know as you kind of analyze that that you know that potential transition. Um, so it's yeah, kind of good, yeah. good practice for all of us to sort of learn from for sure. Um, and, and and as I mentioned before, I, I mentioned that you uh, you came up through the the, the rank, you know sort of the sales ranks and that, you know, have various sales leadership positions at you know Boston Scientific, Spectronetics, et cetera. But you're you're a chemical engineer. I mean, your undergrads in chemical engineering. You've got an MBA in finance. So I'm curious as to kind of why why you stayed on the sales side through your career uh, versus you know other positions that you probably could have could have taken you know within the medical device space that were maybe closer to your, your, your background, I guess, you know, whether it was a marketing position or whether, whether it was a, you know, something else. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how did you, why sales? And then how do you think that's helped you now, um, you know, with, with where you're at, uh, with, uh, uh, with new cryo? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, uh, you know, graduating with a chemical engineering degree and working, you know, for Dow Corning in the engineering space for, for three plus years and then transitioning over to marketing, I think that's given me a broad foundation. Um, that applies to the medical device space because if you think about the medical device space in the human body, it's all basically fluid flow, uh, heat transfer, things along those lines. So there's a technical component that I believe I bring to the sales model that's helped me in my career. But more importantly, one thing that I truly love and enjoy is building teams and the human element. And so with sales allows me to engage physicians, have difficult conversations, about a technology that might be misunderstood or they might not want to use or they might think that there's not a need for it in their treatment algorithm. And so sales is, is a challenge, it's, but also allows you to engage people to you know, build relationships with them and provide them a product that I believe will service them and their, and their patients. So that's why I've always you know, enjoyed sales and, and that's why I love my position I'm in right now. Got it. And as, and as you think back you know, to your sales experiences, versus kind of what you're doing now in your role, you know, as, as, as GM of, uh, of new cryo, are there, are there things that you wish you had more experience in? And then, and then really the, I guess what I, what I'm getting at here is there's, you know, there's going to be people that listen to the, to our, this interview or our conversation that have opportunities to make, to, to sort of, to, to, uh, to zig and zag throughout their career, you know, go from sales to marketing yep. or marketing to, you know, medical education or professional education, et cetera. Uh, are there? Do you wish you would have maybe zigged or zagged a little bit more, or are you kind of, uh, um, uh, kind of? What are your thoughts in general about that? Yeah, no, I think, and I think first of all, you always have to have some good mentors that you trust. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm fortunate. My wife is also in the medical device space, and so she's a great sounding board. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you always have to have a story. I get phone calls from a lot of people now that ask, you know, about taking making a career move or doing a career change or whatever it may be. And they always ask about their resume. And a resume is a, a critical component, and that's what people look at. But I think you always have to have a story to tell. And so mm-hmm. if you look at mine, I've been very fortunate. You know, my first medical device job was with Boston Scientific um, being a, a peripheral rep. And it happened to be with cryoplasty. And that connects me with Dr. Joey, and I believe why, one of the reasons why I'm here today. But then I was allowed to, you know, to launch Promus on the coronary side where I, I did that for a year, and I went to Spectronetics. So as long as you you make a change that makes sense to you and there's a story behind it, I believe you need to continue down that path and not be afraid to to take risks or to make a change 
and just believe in that path and stay true to it because change is inevitable, but you have to just manage through it and and believe in the path that you're on because you know it will change and it will always change and just have to be ready for those those modifications, if you will. Got it. Uh, very good. So, so when you think about uh, new cryo now, I know you sort of hinted at it, uh, you know, just uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, what what's next? I mean, you're, you're clearly excited about uh, about the opportunity ahead with uh, with with you know the the new uh, uh, polar cath device. But uh, can you can you tell us a little bit more about what's what's uh, what's ahead in the new cryo story, the Gemini story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the great things about Gemini and that was intriguing to me is uh, obviously we talked about cryoplast quite a bit. But Gemini, is, it's really a medical device startup that was created to develop, engineer, manufacture, and distribute either directly or through a distribution channel um, novel or new medical devices to, that are differentiated and different to treat PAD. So we, are, we already have prototypes um, in IP um, that we're working on. And what our goal, and Gemini's goal, is to develop, work with entrepreneurs, other physicians have already contacted us about ideas they have. Because we're such a small shop and we're so efficient, you know, we can take an idea, think about it, build a prototype, get the voice of the customer, if you will, and then build a marketing plan around it. So that's the future. The future is to stay stay small, have a direct sales force, grow a little bit here and there, but always be nimble enough to adapt to the technology we want to bring to market, the IP that we're working on, and just continue this process of you know bringing out new technology um, year after year after year. Got it. And uh, um, so, so is it safe to say that Gemini almost acts as a little bit like a, 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 a an incubator or an accelerator um, for uh, yeah. specific to the, the 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 peripheral market? It could absolutely. That's one way to look at it. Um, you know, there's various ideas and thoughts behind an incubator, but right now. You know, we have a business plan that's lined up with a, a product we already want to bring to market in a few years. So the first and foremost is get cryoplasty off the ground, you know, get it back to where it was, get a nice revenue stream, and then build off of that with the products that we already have that we're already engineering and we already have prototypes on. Okay, cool. And 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 you obviously have a lot of experience in the, in the peripheral vascular market marketplace, and it's 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 one that's 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 pretty uh, you know pretty competitive. Uh, a lot of, a lot of different players with you know quality sales forces and quality products. So um, is that when you when you look at how competitive this this particular market is, uh, what are your you know what thoughts come to mind? Yeah, it's, I mean the peripheral space is, is highly competitive, and there's new competitors coming to market almost every day. It seems like. But the one thing that I really appreciate, and when I talk to other sales reps and other companies, is the focus that we're going to have in our bag. A lot of reps out there, a lot of larger companies, they have to add products because their margins are dropping because there's so much competition. But for us, you know, we're we're focused. We have one product right now, and we have a direct sales team that's going to go after the once again the proven customer base that's already been out there. So I think it gives us a competitive advantage, um, and hopefully that'll you know, be proven this year and the years to come. But I know a lot of reps, even highly respected reps, you know, are are looking to carry a smaller bag and they don't want to talk about 20, 15, you know, 30 products and go to different call points throughout the hospital. They would also like to be focused. So I think the business model that we're developing is intriguing, you know, and uh, and, and hopefully will prove to be very successful. Yeah, and I, it, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I had a conversation um uh, fairly recently with a, uh, a VP of sales, um, that, uh, 
we, we had this same same topic, you know, whether to go, uh, whether to, to stay really focused or or combine sales forces. And uh, he made he, he made the comment that you know, it's certainly more expensive to to to, to take a, a more focused approach, but it's the it's really the only way to to, to you know to, to see a lot of um, to see the, the the growth that you know I think you'd want just because the more the more spread out your your sales force is in terms of you know call points or you know uh, you know products uh, the the le- the less likelihood for ideal growth. So, yep, and I also think that's why we have such a unique opportunity because we are different and we have the mechanism of action, you know, that uh, applies apoptosis and it is completely differentiated. Mm-hmm. That hopefully it'll allow us to go super lean like we are, but also grow the market that we have because of the physicians that have used it in the past. So it's that one unique situation that we talked about before, where I can't think of another opportunity where if you combine all the pieces and you put it in this in this basket that we have, it's pretty unique. And that's why I also think it's pretty exciting with hopefully what we're going to see in the future. Cool. Uh, very good. So, so I'll, I'm going to transition um, to these kind of these, these kind of my more, more of my favorite part of the parts of, of these interviews, which is uh, kind of the, the, the last three more personal questions. But uh, um, first and foremost, uh, what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, nonfiction business book, Kevin? Uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess just uh, just thinking off the top of my head, it's uh, Into Thin Air uh, about the Mount Everest story. I think it was written in, in like 1997 okay. um, by John Krakauer. Uh, but it's a great story about survival and um, just uh, it, it's a really engaging um, story about Mount Everest and, and conquering it. Okay, that's interesting. I might we we uh, you know for our, our family night <laughs> just last night we actually uh, we actually watched that the the movie uh, Everest, really good movie. Have you have you seen it? I have. Yeah. I think that's one of the great things about uh, reading some of these books, these nonfiction books, is you read the book and then you watch the movie, or you watch the movie and then you read the book and you see sure. the similarities. And but now it's it's a really intense film, and that's why I love the book because it it was an intense book to read. Yeah, and you feel like you're, you're kind of with those individuals as right. they go through their adventure. Very cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that because I, I honestly didn't even I haven't read really into, into much into this into the story uh, other than other than watch, watch the movie. So uh, I'll have to look into that um, into thin air. That's cool. Um, all right. So se- uh, second question: Is there a, a a business leader you know whether it's a CEO or anyone else for that matter uh, that you're sort of following right now or, or one that inspires you? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of, of business leaders out there, especially right now with the the presidential you know, elections and all those things going on. There's so many leaders out there, um, and it's an ever-changing economy. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the, if I would answer that question with kind of a sports analogy, I guess, if you will. I'm a Michigan State grad. Uh, I'm a big Tom Izzo fan, and obviously it's basketball season. And I really respect what Tom Izzo has done. I think business, as, as leaders and sports coaches, it can be in parallel at times. And what he's done by building a program, and I think that's really critical in today's medical device world is you have to build a program, not mm-hmm. just cover cases or get your equipment used in the case, but build a program so that you're part of a treatment algorithm. That's what really defines success. But I think Tom Izzo has done that at Michigan State. I mean, he's, he's a motivator, a mentor, a teacher, an absolute disciplinarian. But all in all, he still has built a program that has a great culture where his players have fun. And I'm a big fan of working hard. But at the end of the day, if you're not having fun, you're not enjoying what you're doing, then I think you really have to look in the mirror and figure out, is this the right experience and the right opportunity for me? Because it's never going to be easy, but you have to enjoy at the, at, at the end what you're doing. And I think that's what Tom Izzo, as a leader, 
has done at Michigan State. And you know, he's built a nationwide powerhouse um, that was number one earlier this year. They lost a few games recently, but um, absolutely someone I respect and admire. That he's okay. It's your, it's your Michigan State bias coming through. <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. No, I think I think I think a lot of people would agree with. Even if you're not a Michigan State fan, uh, would would agree my, with uh, your comments about uh, about what what Tom has, my, has done there. My my wife's a Wolverine, so every now and then I gotta you know uh, defend my Spartans <laughs> as much as I can. It's a true it's a true rivalry. That's great. Um, it is. All right, last uh, last question. Um, uh, when kind of thinking about yeah, your 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 career, um, you know, you know, spanning back to even your days at uh, uh, at Dow Corning, um, is there something that you would tell your you know your twenty five or your thirty year old self, looking back? Uh, yeah, I guess I'd probably tell myself a lot. But for the sake <laughs> of this interview, um, I think what it comes down to is, and it's not easy. Trust me, I, I struggle with this as well. But don't be afraid to take risks. But more importantly, I think you need to surround yourself with good people that have your intentions, not their intentions, but your best intentions in mind. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy, but I think I think that's critical because, and that, that's both in the inside of the industry as well as the outside of the industry because you have to get perspective from both. Like mm-hmm. when I decided to make the move to Gemini, I talked to my peers inside the industry as well as friends, family, and people that just know me and said, what do you think? And I think you have to have a sounding board of people that, that have your back and will be a straight shooter. Um, honesty hurts sometimes, but I think it's important to hear it. You don't always have to listen to it, I guess, but I think it's important to have that perspective. Um, because when I look back and when I left Spectrinetics, or when I left Boston Scientific to go to Spectrinetics, I mean, I was a large company going to, back then, Spectrinetics was, you know, a smaller company that was still trying to figure out their footprint. Um, but change is important and it helps you grow. So take risks, but make sure that you, uh, you just take a look at the overall aspect of what that could be. Very good. Uh, good advice. And, uh, and uh, sort of to, to, to end our, our conversation here, uh, for people that want to learn more about uh, Gemini uh, Interventional or New Cryo, uh, where would you direct them to online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I direct them to newcryovascular.com, so www.nucryovasc.com. Um, our information is there. You can contact me through the website. Um, our press releases and things will be up there. Um, so more than happy to talk to anyone, um, customers, other individuals in the market space, whatever we can do to help them better understand our story, what we're trying to do, and why we think we're relevant in today's uh, market. Got it. Very good. And I'll, I'll link to uh, to the website here in the in the show notes. Um, but if uh, but do check New Cryo Vask uh, out when you get a chance on, on their about page. You guys do a good job of kind of explaining the uh, the story, uh, you know, from a chronological perspective, which is kind of which is kind of neat. Uh, it's it's nice to see, especially when uh, especially for those of us that are more familiar with the cardiovascular space, uh, for sure. So, um, Kevin, I'll have you I'll have you uh, hold on the line here. But um, anything else to add before we we call good? Uh, no, I just uh, really appreciate your time. Great questions, great dialogue, and uh, it was great. It was great talking to you. The last thing I'll note: people can also look at uh, www.polarcast.com and cryoplasty.com if that's easier for them to remember. Okay. This new cryovascular might not jump out, but no, uh, appreciate it. Excited about the, the future ahead for new cryovascular and Gemini, and look forward to having another discussion that uh, maybe next year, if not before, about yes. what we've done and, and kind of the future of Gemini. It'd be it'd be fun to have a follow up discussion for sure because uh, you, you guys cool. are uh, are doing some doing some interesting things uh, for sure. So um, I'll have like I said I'll, I'll have you hold on here uh, um, on the line. But uh, 
again, uh, everyone, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for your listening ears uh, during our conversation with Kevin. Hopefully, hopefully it's been useful. Um, and uh, and until the next episode of Med Everyone, uh, take care.